Uh-oh, it's that time of year. No, it's, it's, I just don't get to sleep. That's not good. I'm working on it. <laughs> I gotta figure, I gotta restructure, like, yeah. there's just not enough hours. It's true. There just isn't. There's, there's not. not enough hours for my ambition. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. That voice you hear, the one who sneezed, the one who wants more hours in the day, that's Amanda Seals. And she could actually use more hours in her day because she is very busy. She's best known for her role as Tiffany on HBO's Insecure. You may also have seen her first stand-up comedy special on HBO this year. Or you may know her as a creator and host of Smart, Funny, and Black, a comedy game show dedicated to all things black culture. Also, Amanda has a master's degree in African-American studies, and she used to be in the hip-hop duo Flowetry. Incredibly, the reason we sat down to talk recently was none of the above. Amanda Seals, on top of all that other work, she is out with a new book that is called Small Doses, Potent Truths for Everyday Use. It's essays, life advice, little pearls of wisdom from someone who has a lot of wisdom to give. All right, here's my chat with the fun and engaging yet overworked and underslept Amanda Seals. Enjoy. Well, and then the worst thing is, like, when you think you need to go to bed and you're ready to go to bed, you have an idea or you want to finish the thing, and you're like, I should just get up and type this out right now. That happened literally to me last night. Really? I was like, I need to go to bed. However, <laughs> I haven't put any time into the screenplay today, so I need to do uh-huh. something. Uh-huh. Even if it's just come up to, with the names of these characters. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. I did. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, so before this interview, and actually for like a year or two now, Watching you on Insecure, seeing your career blow up, I've kept being like, where have I seen it before? And then I figured it out. You were on the college circuit. The college circuit? Like the college tour circuit. And you were Amanda Diva. Yes. And you did a conference in Texas when I was an undergrad. At A&M? Yes. The Southwestern Black Student Leadership yes, Conference. Southeastern yeah, or uh, whatever. SBSLC. S-B-S-L-C. Yes. <laughs> Okay, yes. that's what it is. <laughs> and I was like, I know, I know, I've seen her. I, I yes, because I brought your CD after the show. Oh my show. god, you went. Okay, so I've been to SBSLC twice. So okay, you went when I was there the first time. Okay, yes, in 05. Yes, I was there in 05. My yes. homegirl Ashley Henderson had got had brought me out there, and uh, Finney D. Coleman, Professor Finney D. Coleman. How long? So, like, if I'm reading correctly, for a while you were doing like a lot of college stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm always intrigued by that as like a career path because I've talked with other comics that do that. It is a grind that in many ways prepares you for other stuff. Like it is. Oh, absolutely. It's a testing ground. Well, when I started doing uh, colleges, I was doing them as a po- as a poet because mm-hmm. I had done Deaf Poetry Jam. Yeah. So I was doing it. I was literally touring colleges while I was in college. Oh, yeah. But the thing about doing poetry was that, and the thing about colleges in general, is that you just never know what you're showing up to. Yeah. Like, did the students want to be there? Is it extra credit? Oh, like, what is let's it? take it to another level. Uh-huh. Is it in an auditorium? Uh-huh. Is it in a cafeteria? <laughs> is yeah. it in a random room in the back of a library? Uh-huh. You know, or is it in a lecture hall? Yeah. Like, so, as a performer... Mm. And as, like, a type A personality, like, yeah. there's a certain level of surprise that I appreciate uh-huh. <laughs> and that I am very disturbed by. Yeah, yeah. How long were you doing, like, college, 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 show, show, shows? I did college, college, college until 2005 when I found myself at Miami, Ohio, um, in the back of a bar 
that had a college basketball game going while I was doing a poetry reading. Oh, man. <laughs> and I felt my spirit like wither before my eyes uh-huh. like a uh-huh. leaf falling <laughs> to the ground on the first day of winter. Okay. And I said uh, to my manager at the time, like, I don't want to do this yeah. anymore because it's like literally killing my soul. Yeah. How do you think that experience has shaped the performer you are now? Well, I think I... I just, one, have so much content. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. by the time I started doing stand-up, I was 34. Okay. And um, I had just amassed so many years of experience mm-hmm. being on stage and having to perform in all these different formats, whether it was as a poet or mm-hmm. as a host or as a lecturer yeah. or as a musician, that by the time I got to, or as, as, or as an actor, because I used to do a one-woman show. Huh called Death of the Diva. I toured yeah. that. Yeah. Um, that by the time I got to stand-up, you know, I just had a very wide breadth of experiences to draw from yeah. in terms of content as yeah. and a wide breadth of experience to draw from in terms of just being comfortable on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you play, would you play colleges now? They seem like very different places now than when I was seeing you at that conference in 2005. It's, it is a... Yeah, it, I still do. I still do. Um, I'll do... I'm more thoughtful about it. I mean, in my... It's a different climate on campus right it now, is. it feels like. It Do you is. like that? No. I don't like the idea of people coming to... I think... I don't want a blanket statement, right? Yeah. Like, I don't want to say everybody comes, but I think there yeah. is a hypersensitivity that's just a part of a generational change yes. and a cultural change that I'm not fully accustomed to. I think some people talk about, like, oh, it's so PC. I, I don't have a problem with being PC. I mean, I, I don't think that I am culturally um, oblivious. I think it's more so... Just this idea of nobody ever wants to be offended. And sometimes you're going to be offended. Yeah. Well, also, people, uh, and this or is not addressed. just college campus, they don't want to hear a thing that doesn't align with their worldview. One million percent. When it's like, oh, the the one of the big reasons to go to college is to hear a bunch of different, different worldviews. Yeah. yeah. And if you, and, and, and sometimes it's like they may not even hear the message. Mm. Like I have, like I've had people be like, oh, like you don't like Jamaicans because in my special, I referenced that a Jamaican man hollered at me on the street. And so this is me talking negative about Jamaicans. Like, that's not a blanket statement. But sometimes I think that there is this idea of, like, if you even mention a a group that people are from, they don't even want you to mention it. Yeah. If it's not your group. Yeah. Let's talk about the book. Yeah. You got a new book coming out. Or is it already out? When did it come out? October 22nd. Yeah. And Congratulations um, on book release. Thank you. How you feeling? I'm feeling good now. Like at first, it's just like such a new space that I yeah. kind of just had this weird like numbness. It was like all the feelings at once, so it kind of feels like nothing. You know, mm-hmm. Like if you mix all the colors together, you just get a glop of <laughs> okay. like some weird color. Like yeah, that's how I was feeling. But now I feel like I've properly compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. And the book tour really helped to kind of just bring me back to center with it because you just get to talk to different people about what they're looking forward to or what they've already read and yeah. And I think that. I've never written this, you know, I've read, I've read a book of poetry before, but I've never written a book in this fashion where it's essays, it's blurbs, it's lists, it's stories, and it's all my point of view, you know? Yeah. So you're you're stepping out naked, <laughs> you know? And, like, yeah. you want to feel safe, and yes. the book tour really helped me feel yeah. safe. Let's describe the book for those who haven't uh, gotten it yet. It's called Small Doses, Potent Truths for Everyday Use. Describe that frame for our listeners. 
Because it's not a typical memoir. It's it's not it's a, a memoir. Yeah it's, yeah, it's it's vignettes of you and your experience, but about life and more than just you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's honest advice for the side effects of life. So, like, we have side effects of insecurity. You know, there's side effects of being a multi-hyphenate, side effects of a type A personality, side effects of haters, <laughs> side effects of the hoe phase, <laughs> side, of, side effects of race in the workplace. Yeah. I like the side effect frame. It's throughout the book, and I appreciated that. What was the hardest side effect for you to write about in the book? Well, the whole section on womanhood was the hardest part. Okay. Which I, I was surprised about because I'm like, I'm going to do this one. Like, yeah. no problem. Yeah. And I think it was because I'm so close to it. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like I didn't want to write stuff that was kind of kitschy or hackneyed or had just been, like, mm-hmm. overdone. Mm-hmm. So it was like, well, I don't I don't want to write about beauty. Like, I don't want to write about uh, – I want to write about sex, but how do I write about it in a unique way? Mm-hmm. For instance, like, I have a whole essay – about beauty yeah, that is literally just one sentence. <laughs> Tell us a sentence. Well, it's one paragraph, and it's gem dropping pretty versus gorgeous. You know what? Every woman is pretty. Gorgeous, fly, sexy, cute, banging fine, bad, stacked, pretty hot and tempting, or fat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> in their own way. Learn and love what you consider to be pretty, gorgeous, fly, sexy, cute, banging fine, bad, stacked, pretty hot and tempting, or fat about you and don't base that on what anyone else thinks and that's all I have to say about that I like it I give you snaps for it how long did it take you to get to the place where you could write that poem down in a book with your name on it did you consider that to be a poem it read like a poem just now Thank you. I mean, yeah. I think I read like a poem. Like, you know, poem. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. at my core, like yeah. that's there. Yeah. And then, I mean, for, but also let me tell you something. Like I watched Toni Morrison's uh, documentary recently. So good. And I talked like, hello. <laughs> I will have, I mean, I was yeah. having like a full Toni Morrison all day. I was talking Listen. to my homegirl and I was like, hello, what are you doing? I was like, I'm sorry, my bad. Like <laughs> I'm feeling Toni in Tony. my speech. Yes. And, and, and like she does this thing where you will wait for her words. And that's fine. Yo. I love it. That right there. <laughs> economy of words. Listen, she gets it. I've been trying to work on that, too. Yeah. I've been really trying to work on yeah. the economy of words. How hard was writing the book? Because it's got a lot of threads going on. Like, you know, like these chapters with various side effects, a lot of different <sighs> vignettes throughout. Like, you know, like there's some books you read. They're like, okay, they started out like we're going to go from point A to point B. Your book goes to many, many different points. My book is like interstellar, okay? We're on different <laughs> planets, we're in black holes, we are in other dimensions, Matthew yeah. McConaughey's like showing up. <laughs> was it hard to write? It was incredibly difficult to write. How long did it take you? A year. Okay. I thought it was going to take two months because I'm a very like pragmatic like, and now we're doing this and now boom, we're going to do boom, this. Boom, boom. Yeah. But in that year, uh, my life really changed, you know, over the last two years just in terms of like, my visibility in terms of my workload. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, these two years have been nonstop. I'm not complaining by any means. I'm Mm -hmm. incredibly booked and blessed, but it's just taken time for me to adjust to Mm -hmm. like how to manage my time now. So like you have been, you've been working consistently for a long time, but I think it's fair to say that a lot of stuff changed for you once America began to see you on screen more in Insecure. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, when did we start seeing you, like, become, like, a regular on, like, season two? 
I was well, yeah. Or, I mean, or, I think that we were present. You're present, but like you and Natasha Rothwell became like more. Yes, later well, we on. became more considered like, oh, this is a foursome. Yes. Like this is a, a, yeah. a group of yeah. girls that are friends. Yeah, and I think that was also just by nature of the fact that like you only got six episodes for a season. Yeah, sex season, you still only get six episodes, uh-huh. but just the repet- repetition of seeing yeah. these faces and these these interactions, and I think the fact that like. Tiffany just got more of a point of view, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's, of course, by the growth of a show, like exactly. the growth of story. Yeah, yeah. So, and I got the opportunity to really just kind of lock into like, this is a person that you're going to see more of. You know, yeah. this is a character you're going to see more of. All right, time for a break. When we come back, you know, those friends who ask for your advice and never, ever take your advice. Amanda knows those friends, too. And she has thoughts. BRB. Support for NPR and the following message come from Third Love, creators of the Fit Finder quiz, designed to help everyone find their perfect fitting bra. Rael Cohen, Third Love's chief creative officer, explains how the Fit Finder is always improving. Over 15 million women have taken the Fit Finder quiz, and every woman who does the Fit Finder makes the Fit Finder better for other women. Every single time a woman completes the Fit Finder, the algorithm gets smarter and better, and it helps more women find their best fit. To find your perfect fit and get 15% off your first order, go to thirdlove.com Sam. Can we affect the rise and fall of the economy? Although things may look good for now, many Wall Street analysts are concerned about the warning signs ahead. Just by the way we talk about it. The bond markets once again flashing that ominous recession. How stories and psychology affect our economic fate. This week on Hidden Brain from NPR. Let's talk more about your performance on Insecure and that character which I find quite funny and hilarious, but also not at all in IRL like you. I think the only thing that's different about Tiffany is her delivery and just kind of like the way that she carries herself. But honestly, if Do you, you see yourself root, as bougie as she is? Um, I'm not bougie. I think for the first two seasons, we felt like she was somebody who... Um, Somebody who defined herself by her status, like by yes. her bouginess. Yes. And... And her wealth. And her wealth, which actually was not... The case, I think it just gave off that. But okay. really what it is is that she's just a very pulled up. She's very similar to me. Like, she's a type A. She likes things just so. Yeah. Like, remember yeah. when she told Molly, like, listen, I didn't spend time handwriting all of these place cards uh-huh. with a calligraphy pen <laughs> so that you could just sit where you wanted to sit. Go sit in your seat. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. like, she yeah. likes things just so yeah. because she's put time into it. Yeah. And she'll say what she wants. And that's which Amanda. Seems like you. Okay. Yes. And so it's interesting because people are like, I don't like your character. And I'm like, you don't like somebody to keep it a buck with you. Boop, boop, boop. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And that's me. And I say it ain't shade if it's the truth. All right. What in portraying that character is the hardest for you to get to? The stuff that's not like you that you have to reach the most for? Well, the pregnancy stuff. I mean, I've never had a baby. Okay. And I've also like never been a part of a friend group like that. Really? Yeah. Like I have my individual, like... I yeah. have individual friends, but I've never had, like, a squad. Well, I also feel like the squad kind of friendship is very TV. Isn't it? Especially in L.A. There's oh, no way I'm getting four of my friends together on a regular basis. Regular is it's happening. It's L.A. <laughs> so someone's in Silver Lake. Someone's in Venice. Someone's <laughs> in Orange County. And I'm going to see y'all at somebody's birthday. It's true. It's so true. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It is kind of interesting to, like, inhabit what in many ways for a lot of folks feels like an aspirational friend group. They they are they're they're together a lot and a lot of yeah, folks don't get that. They're the, they're together a lot, but there's a lot of dishonesty amongst them. 
No, and I think it's I think it's an important thing to explore and to like take notice of when we're when you're watching the show. You yeah. know, like. And I would say, like, I would say that's probably the biggest difference between me and my character is that I am, like, wildly transparent. Mm-hmm. And I could learn something from Tiffany. Okay. Because Tiffany, I feel, has a healthy, well, Tiffany has a healthy amount of temerity. Mm-hmm. And I just come through, like, like we're all friends. We're here. Yeah. Let's go. Let and it's it out. like, no, they don't even like you. Like, <laughs> like just, it's just, sh- she seems to be a lot more conscious of, like, being quiet when it's time to be quiet. And knowing when and where best to let those words out. Yes. And it's not like I'm tactless. It's not that I'm tactless and I lack no filter. It's that sometimes I feel like my intentions are not going to be reflected by the room, received by the gotcha. room. Gotcha. And so I need to read the room to know if this is the right room is, to present. Exactly. You know, like sometimes, okay. So like if I'm in a room and like there's wrong information being spe- being said, it kills me to let it just be spoken oh my you want to say stop this that's not right that's not right but sometimes it's like you do that in the wrong room and they're like you're a know-it-all or this wasn't your room this is his room this is their room yes exactly and like i know there's people listening who are like oh my god i feel you because it's it drives you crazy you're just like no no no. or like if you have it if like you know that you have like really good advice you could give somebody in a situation yeah and And they don't heed it this is the thing with most advice people don't heed it well, what people I'm... don't heed it, and and so, but but I'll still feel like I want to give it, and I have to just catch myself and be like, you know what? Unless they're asking for it, don't give it. Even now, when friends ask for advice, I just find a way to ask them a bunch of questions. Well, you know, people so don't really want advice; answer. they want permission. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Like, they... I mean, we talk. I talk about that in the book. Yeah, like, people don't want yeah. advice; they want permission. They they they, yeah. they just want you to say like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. They want they want permission to stay with the trash man or leave the trash man. They don't want you to say break up with him. But sometimes it's like to your point of the asking the question. Yeah. It's like, well, what do you want to do? Yes. So then the person will say what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I will say, if I agree with it, I'll be like, follow your gut. <laughs> yeah. If I don't agree with it, I'll be like, well, are you interested in any advice? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you can tell me because sometimes I'll be like, yes. Or uh-huh. sometimes someone will be like, I mean, you know uh-huh. what I mean? Like, uh-huh. or, or my homegirl, Demetria, Demetria Lucas, she's, I, always, I talk about this in my stand up. She always says, permission to be honest. <laughs> yeah. You know, because sometimes people don't want your honesty, especially oh, your yeah. friends. Oh, yeah. Well, and like, what, I, what, I'll, what I'll do now is like try to have a series of questions that makes them work out that mm-hmm. choose your own adventure. Oh, so you're so a like, therapist. Do you so, invoice yeah. them after? I should. Damn it. <laughs> but it's like, all right, so if you do do that thing, what do you think would happen? And how would you feel about those things happening? Would you regret those things happening if you did that? So What's your expectation? That, exactly. What is your intention and your expectation? And which of these two choices will get you closer to that? There you go. That's the major. That's the one right there. You know, Because like, I know for me, I have to ask myself that question. Like, If I'm going into a particularly difficult conversation mm-hmm. or if I feel like I want to start mm-hmm. a particularly difficult conversation, yeah. I have to ask myself, oh. What do I want to get out of it? Mm-hmm. And where is it taking me? Yep. Because it, it feels good to be... It feels good to live in your truth in a moment. But if your truth has kept you from that check, has yeah. kept you from yes. that love, yes. has kept you from that thing you need. You got to tailor the truth. And I think that's the thing. It's like it's not about learning to be phony. It's just finding a new way to be real. I'm giving you a lot of snaps. This episode. I really like <laughs> that's it. That's been I mean, that's something I've been working on all year. And yeah. it is a work in progress. Yeah. Uh, I'm not all the way there, well, but I consciously pursue it. Which I like. 
Thanks. Speaking of realness, I have now interviewed, you're my third interview with someone from Insecure. I interviewed Prentice Penny. Oh, yeah. Interviewed Natasha Rothwell. Going in, into season four, how are you feeling about the place of this show? It's, it, it's become this thing that is, you know, perhaps bigger than folks thought it might be. I think it's great that Insecure has continued to be successful, but I think that it's, the the side effect of it is that I think some people seem very comfortable about where we're at as black folks with voices in this industry. Um, and I think that it's like because of its success, some people feel like we're having this like great big renaissance. Mm. And I'm like, I mean, there's, I mean, I grew up in the 90s where like I can't even name. Living single, the amount, Martin, Moesha, the Fresh am- Prince. Like, yeah, the like Parkers. The, the shows are in, I mean. They're waves. Th- but they're, I mean, they, they just number. I'm saying yeah. like even like I've. Sister, sister. I mean, yeah. smart guy. Like, I mean, yeah. like cousin Skeeter, my brother and me. Like, there was just so many. Yeah. Right now, and we're just naming comedies. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, like I can count on my hand the shows that I would consider to be black shows, not just shows that have a black mm-hmm. lead, mm-hmm. but shows that feel like a representation of the black, black experience. experience. Yeah, I can count those on my hand. It's insecure. What else in terms of like prestige? Insecure TV? Atlanta. If we're talking comedies, yeah. Insecure. Mm-hmm. Atlanta, mm-hmm. and I talk about in the book just the difference between diversity and inclusion. Yep. And you have to have a conscious directive and intention to practice diversity yeah. in any space. All right, time for one more break. On the other side, how Issa Rae from Insecure gave me a tip on a question that her co-star Amanda did not expect. BRB. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Discover Card. You check things all the time, like your email or social media. But Discover asks, what about checking something as important as your credit score? Well, Discover makes it quick and easy with their credit scorecard, which is free for everyone, even if you're not a customer. See your FICO credit score and other important credit information. And once you know your score, you should check to see if your current credit card is the best fit for you. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Limitations apply. In 1987, dozens of federal agents surrounded a trailer park in Ozark, Missouri. Their target white supremacist threatening violent revolution. I have eight teams of freedom fighters prepared to start a race war nationwide. The agents fired tear gas, arrested him, and found a massive arsenal. C4 plastic explosives, hand grenades, thousands of rounds of ammunition. So years later, why did the FBI stop watching him? That story on Embedded from NPR. I want to ask you a question comparing your work in the book to your comedy work. Ooh. Yeah. At the beginning of your comedy special from HBO earlier this year, I Be Knowing. Hey! Congrats on that. Thank you. Um, you have this wonderful monologue at the top saying who who this is for, oh, yeah. and who it's not for. <laughs> and you say, quote, it's for everybody except for racist, rapists, sexist, misogynist, narcissist, or those that are calling the cops on black folks just living our lives. You go on. But it's kind of like saying, I'm, I'm here for these folks, not for those folks. Mm. Um, wouldn't those people benefit by hearing you and reading you as well? Most of those people are not interested in any other point of view. If they could come to your work in an open-minded way, yeah. what would you want them to? And like, what would you hope that they get from it? All the stuff the other folks get from it, I guess. Yeah, I hope they see the error of their ways <laughs> and make a practice to change not only their own behaviors, but those that they feel share. You know, like I have a great essay in here. From a friend of mine, Alison Faircloth. There's two pieces in here that I didn't write. One is from my friend Leah, and the other one is from my friend Alison Faircloth, who is 
a woman who happens to be white, and we grew up together in uh, high school and beyond at mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Phillips High School in Orlando, Florida. Mm-hmm. And Allison wrote an incredible piece on Facebook after the Charlottesville horror mm-hmm. um, about what it would take for white people to be allies. Mm-hmm. And she was like, this is what an ally is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I was so happy that she allowed me to include it in my book because I felt like it was so integrally important that it was coming from a white person speaking to white people because it it just it's not my job to continue trying to get white people to understand racism because at the end of the day if you are a white person who is racist like you're not going to hear me because you don't even see value in me mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. you need to hear from another white person who can let you know that it's not enough to just be like i just don't like racism <laughs> yeah. yeah like it's that just means not nothing like don't you point. love when you see videos of like a person who happens to be white in a situation where they see somebody like and being attacked or, and they're like, call no, no, no. And they put themselves in that position in that position because they know that once they're in the situation, it changes it. It changes it. It changes it. They understand that math. Yes. And they do that math for the help of somebody else. And like, I mean, I, the only thing that makes me cry more than that mm-hmm. is like videos on the dodo. Because <laughs> I love an animal rescue, honey. Listen, same here. Woo! Same here. Same love here. it. Yeah. In thinking about all of the multiple hats you've worn throughout your career, we've gone through that list, so many things. I found out a little tidbit from you uh, from one of your co stars on your show. I ended up at a wedding two weekends ago uh, with a mutual friend of Issa Rae. So we both were there. So we're hanging out. And I was like, Issa, I'm going to interview one of your co stars talking to Amanda Seals. <laughs> Tell me something to ask her that will, like, catch her by surprise. Oh, God! What are you going to do? <laughs> okay. And she was like, have her tell you about how she was, like, a professional gymnast in her youth. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'll ask. So this is me asking about that. I wasn't say professional because, like, I didn't make money <laughs> off it. I spent a lot of money doing it. Um, but... Yeah, I was like a real intense gymnast. I started gymnastics when I was 12, and I excelled up to that point by 15. And I quit gymnastics when I was 16 because I had a stress fracture in one wrist. And then I like learned all my routines on one arm. (laughs) And then then when that wrist healed, I had stress fractures on the other wrist. So then I was like, "Uh, I guess this is a wrap. And then I went and did diving. But gymnastics was a huge part of my Life and in, I mean, just think about those years 12 to 16. I mean, those are it's very formative. formative years, and it formed me to be just a very meticulous, mm-hmm. um, disciplined. Mm-hmm. That's why it was so just dis, it was incensing to me the lack of discipline I had writing this book. Really? I mean, my coaches would have just been, <laughs> oh, like, listen, when you get to the gym. Mm-hmm. And Christy says, like, okay, we're doing 10 beam routines today, and you need to stick the first three in order to start counting the rest of them. When you've fallen on that third routine four times, <laughs> and you're just standing by that beam crying, <laughs> and everyone is changing and going on the floor, uh-huh. and, she, and Christy's like, you're not leaving. Christy's the coach. Yes, okay. Christy is the coach. Christy Mitchell, honey. <laughs> and Christy's like, Amanda. You're not leaving. So I would wipe the tears. If you need to go to the bathroom and get yourself together, do what you got to do. But you're not get leaving until in. you stick the routines that you need to stick. Yeah. How many hours a day were you practicing? Six. Oh, my God. I mean, my mom was like, I mean, for you, home was just a place you slept. Because <laughs> like, I slept, I would go to school. And a lot of gymnasts like homeschool so that they can train, you know, especially elite gymnasts, homeschool mm-hmm. so they can train longer. Yeah. But I really loved school. Um, and I was... 
in regular school for the time I was doing gymnastics. So I would go to school, you know, from like 7.20 in the morning mm. until I think 1.40 maybe. I can't remember. Oh. And then you and leave then school and you go immediately to the gym. So it seems like that life has prepared you for the very, very busy life you lead right now. One thousand percent. And I'm just trying to like tap into that. I'm also just like older and I'm tired. <laughs> I, I, just get, like, I just get like tired faster, you know, like yeah. and I would love I would love to meet an investor who just gives me a bag of money mm-hmm. so I can, you know, put my company together and just sit in my office yeah. and make things. Yeah. And, you know, so how, how often does that happen? But I'm going to put it out in the universe anyway. There you go. Put it out. Put it out. I it's love out it. It's out there, y'all. I love it. Last question for you. Ooh. You have just written this book that a lot of folks are going to read and use to hopefully help their lives become a little bit better. What tidbit from this book and the wisdom you have in it would you most want that 14-year-old Amanda Seals gymnast crying by the floor routine to hear or receive? From this book, I think it goes back to what I said earlier, which is just that it's in you. Yeah. Because there's been so many times where I feel like all is lost, or I feel like, damn, if I just had this person, it, you know, like even like me saying, like, I wish somebody could give me a bag of money. It's like, yeah, but you also know that you can make a bag of money. There you go. And sometimes you just need to know that. It doesn't change the fact that you would still love for somebody to drop <laughs> a bag of money, you know? But sometimes you just need to know that because hope is a currency. And hope is maybe even worth more I was gonna say. than the bag of money. And there's been so many times where I've had to check myself mm-hmm. and remind myself, it's in you. Like, you may not be able to see it right now. Keep looking. Thank you, Amanda Seals. Thank this you. This was a delight. This was so fun. I yes. really enjoyed it. And oh you know goodness. you have perfect hands? What? You have beautiful hands. I Listen, you, you come here every week. <laughs> Thanks again to Amanda Seals. Her new book is called Small Doses, Potent Truths for Everyday Use. Listeners, we are back in your podcast feed on Friday with our usual wrap of the week's news and culture and all the fun stuff. As always, for that episode and every Friday episode, we want to hear you in the show as well. Email us the best things that have happened to you all week. To share that, just record your voice into your phone and send that audio file to me at samsanders at npr.org. SamSanders at NPR.org. You might hear your own voice in our Friday episode. Could be fun. All right, till then, thank you for listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Talk soon. <laughs>